It is good to be here. Of course, we announced a couple of weeks ago about this plan of transition. I, I got to listen to Clay's message last week, and he killed it. I mean, it was an incredible, incredible word. And for those of you that have not been here, um, what we shared a couple of weeks ago was that in, over the next 9 to 12 months, I'm going to be transitioning out as pastor of the church. Clay will be transitioning in to the, the lead pastor here, but I'm, I'm not leaving. I'm not, you know, I'm not, it's, it's not bad terms. It's, it's, I'm going to be uh, leading CTMF, which is Rick Clendenin's uh, ministry that he formed several years ago that focused on leadership training and uh, church planting. Uh, I'm going to be gone uh, next week uh, to speak at a conference in Indiana, so I would uh, appreciate your prayers for that. And then the first week in August, I'm going to be in Western Kentucky at Journey Church. And so this is a new uh, uh, a place I've never been in before. And part of what I'm going to share this morning is, is being... Uh, what I actually went through personally uh, to come to this place where I needed to make this decision. Now, this is not a negative situation. I'm not leaving to go to another church. I'm not uh, leaving, uh, not being ran out. You know, every pastor is a departing pastor. Every pastor is a dying pastor. And within the scope of what God has called us to do, we have to be intentional about uh, helping to raise up the next generation. Now, you guys know Clay's credentials. He's got more credentials than I do. I mean, he's highly qualified, but more than qualified through education and master's degree, he's an anointed man of God. And so you know what kind of quality of leadership you're going to be uh, receiving from. And, and uh, uh, you know, I, I can't be even, I couldn't be any more happy uh, regardless of who that would, that would be uh, taking my place. But I'm going to be stepping into a new uh, position. We're going to be expanding uh, in this church versus somebody leaving. There's a big difference between that. I've always known that I've had a call of God on my life to travel the world and, and preach the gospel. I'm from 313 Town Branch Road. And believe it or not, there was nobody on Town Branch Road doing that stuff. Uh, as far as I know, there's nobody doing it even right now. And so to be able to go and travel into 17 different countries around the world to preach the gospel, only God can do something like that. You understand what I'm saying? And so... Uh, that's a, an amazing new adventure. It's going to be exciting, but I'm going to be here for the continuation of this journey. As a matter of fact, that's what I want to speak on this morning. So if you've got your Bible with you, I want you to turn to the book of Exodus, chapter number 13. Exodus, chapter number 13. We're going to be reading verses 17 through 21. Now, what we're going to be discussing is Learning how to follow God. Now, if you are going to follow God, the first thing that you have to do is that you have to make a commitment to follow God. Now, that sounds simple enough, but if you don't understand the process of what it's like to follow God, you will just give lip service in saying that, God, I want to follow you, I want to do your will. But the truth is, when you make a commitment in your heart to follow God, you can take this to the bank. That commitment will be tested. Because a commitment that has not been tested cannot be trusted. 
And if you don't resolve and make a resolve in your heart to commit yourself to following God, regardless of whether things get better for you or worse for you, when that commitment is put to the test, you will depart from that commitment and you won't genuinely and truly follow God like you verbally spoke. There's a lot of people that will mentally acknowledge that following God's important, that, that doing the will of God was uh, important in their life, but when it comes down to making a commitment to doing the things necessary to follow God, it's rare to find people that are willing to change anything and everything in their life in order to go after God and what he has for their life because it's going to cost you something. And so I want to talk to you about learning how to follow God on the journey. Exodus chapter 13, verse 17 says, Then it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go that God, notice, did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although it was near. For God said, least perhaps the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. Verse 18. So God led the people around by the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea, and the children of Israel went up in order, rank out of the land of Egypt. And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had placed the children of Israel under a solemn oath, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry my bones from here with you. So they took their journey from Sukkoth and camped at Etham at the edge of the wilderness, and the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so as to go by day and night. Let's read verse 22. He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night from before the people. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the word of God. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that is in this place. I believe that you are ministering to us in multiple ways, ways that we have not even connected with. But Lord, I pray that you would minister to us through the word because, Lord, we want to be a church that follows you. We want to commit ourselves to your will. There's a reason. There's a purpose. There's a destiny. There's an outcome. There's an assignment. There's an objective. There's something you've called each of us to do individually. And there's something you've called us to do collectively as a corporate body. So, Lord, I ask you to bless your word this morning. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see, hearts that understand and wills that will obey. And we'll give you the glory for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said? The journey, learning to follow God. I don't know about you, but one thing I've learned in the almost or the over 21 years that I have been trying to follow God is that God seems to always do his work and his will in my life contrary to the way that I have expected him to do it. In other words, I've tried to seek God. I've tried to figure out in my mind how this is going to work out, 
how do I believe for God's best in my life, but, but still not see it manifested in my life? How do I uh, accomplish God's purpose and God's will? And every time that I've tried to figure it out, I found out that God will always do his work and will in our, in our lives contrary to the way that we expect him to. And the reason that he does that is because he's sovereign. God's ways are above our ways, right? I always stand in amazement of how God works things out because I have all of this data, I have all this prayer journaling, I have all of these notes, all of these books, all of these things that I've read, I've tried to apply to my life. And when God begins to work in my life, he always works contrary to my human reasoning because when faith knocks at the door, human reasoning is not required to answer it. We have to meet faith with faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God, right? The Bible says whatever is not of faith, it is sin. So I found out in American culture, we like God. We love God. We love Jesus. We love the Holy Spirit. We love church. Uh, we, we love heaven. And we want all of those things in our life except one thing, and that is we want them on our terms, we want and we like things to work out the way that we are comfortable with them. We don't necessarily like to make changes or adjustments or sacrifices or those things in order to experience God's will in our life. But God will always do it contrary just to remind you that he is God and you are not. Because there's times, listen, it took me about 10 years to realize I wasn't the Holy Spirit. Now, I know that's funny, but I can promise you it's the truth. Even though I wouldn't say that I am the Holy Spirit, I always tried to strive and to work hard and to perform and to be diligent, and I was finding myself burnt out, overwhelmed, confused, ready to quit simply because I was trying to do God's work in my flesh. Has anybody ever tried to do that? And I found out something, that God will allow you to do his work in your own strength to the point that you collapse as a result of it. Jesus said, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, a yoke is actually a, a tool of the trade that is designed to carry a heavy load, that is designed to carry heavy weight. And Jesus makes this statement. He says, if you will take my yoke upon you, my burden upon you, it will be easy and it will be light. In other words, the very thing that is designed to be difficult, that's designed to be heavy, if you'll get on one side and I get on the other side, that which was intended to be heavy and overwhelming and burdensome will become light and easy. And every time I have found myself under the weight of the call of God on my life or whatever it may be, I found out that there's just a little bit too much of me involved in what God is doing. And so I have to reevaluate myself. It's on a daily basis. I have to ask myself the question, is there more of me in this situation than they are of God? Am I doing more than what God is expecting me to do? See, God wants us to depend upon him. Jesus said in John 15, 5, he said, apart from me, you can do nothing. And the word nothing in Greek means nothing. You know, it means absolutely zero. There's not one. It, listen, it is a miracle to breathe. You realize that? 
That's why we need to be grateful for every single day that we have. I don't have bad days. I just have some days that are better than others. But anytime I find myself buckling under the load of ministry, the load of responsibility, whether it be parenting, whether it be marriage, whether it be in ministry, whatever that may be, Every single time I found out that there's just a little bit or a whole lot of me and a whole lot less of him. John said it like this. He said, I must decrease that he may increase. In other words, if we want more of God, we have to have less of ourselves. The gospel is this. First you die, then you live. Everybody wants to talk about the resurrection or to, wants to walk in resurrection power, but they don't want to commit themselves systematically to dying every day because to the degree that you learn to die to yourself is equal to the degree that you're able to walk in the power of God each and every day. It's that dying that gets us. It's kind of like the word diet. The only problem I've got with the word diet is the first three letters. Some of you getting that, you're going. You know, it's the dying part that gets me. I like to think about the outcome of dieting. I like to be in better shape. I like to lose a few hundred pounds. I, I mean, I would like to, but I mean, when I think about the commitment I've got to make, what I'm going to have to crucify, what I'm going to have to sacrifice, what I'm going to have to abstain from. See, anytime God calls you to something, he calls you away from something. Anytime God calls you to something, he calls you away from something. And if you can't walk away from what he's telling you to walk away from, you will never be able to go to the place that God is calling you to go. And that's what it's like to, to follow God. Now, let me give you Four things that you need to remember if you're going to follow God. This is in your outline here. I'm going to do my best to try to teach this and not get all preachy-fied, but I get happy sometimes. I enjoy it. But number one, first thing you've got to remember is this. God does not lead us the easy or the logical way. If you're going to follow God, you need to take the easy way and throw it away. You need to take the logical way and throw it away because God doesn't lead us that way. He puts us in a position where we have to continually depend on him. God loves for us to be dependent upon him. You know, when we first get saved, we know the, the, the grass is greener, the sky is bluer. It's such a joy to come to church. We love our brothers and our sisters. It's a wonderful day in the neighborhood. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? You know, we got this Mr. Rogers attitude toward church, toward uh, ministry, toward what? It's a privilege, remember? But all of a sudden, maybe a year or so after we get saved, you know, we learn a few scriptures, and the next thing we do, instead of being teachable, we start telling everybody what we think. You know, we start thinking, well, okay, I have achieved a level of spirituality that makes me superior to other people. Now, none of us would, ever, would, would never, you know, make that decision or, or, or verbally say that, but we don't have to when we demonstrate that kind of attitude in our actions. You know, and for example, if all we do is come to church and we never serve in the ministry, we are a contradiction to what it means to be a Christian. Why? Because every member has a ministry. Every member has a spiritual gift. 
Everybody has a unique shape. They have spiritual gifts. They have a heart or passion. They have abilities that are God-given. They have a personality and they have experiences. Everybody's shape is unique and different. And God wants you to be able to walk in your uniqueness because what makes you unique is also what makes you powerful. But for some reason, we have this uh, culture or atmosphere we uh, create in church that you know we get saved by grace and paralyzed by it at the same time. Now, did you know that saved people serve people, found people find people, and if we're if we're genuinely saved, then we are a servant. We're we're called to serve. You know, we all have a primary gift that God wants us to operate in. Then we have a secondary gift that God wants us to operate in. Your primary gift is where you serve in the area of your gift, talent, and passion. Your secondary gift is where you serve in the place where you're needed. Now, that's important for you to understand. It's important for you that you should have a ministry that you are primarily focused in, and you also have a secondary ministry where you're saying, hey, you know what? Whatever area you need me to have help in or help you in, I'll be more than glad to do it. And so if we're going to follow God, we have to be open for God to do things that are not always easy and logical to our human mind. Look what it says in verse 17. Then it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go that God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines. Notice what it says here. Although it was near. Now logically, we would have to ask the question, if this is the easiest way to get to the promised land because God had called them out of Egypt, right? He had, he had judged Egypt with ten different plagues and judgments. They had seen the, the, the Red Sea depart, and they walked across on dry ground. And God said, I'm going to take you to a land flowing with milk and honey. And you would assume if God would go to all that trouble to deliver them, he would make their journey to the promised land easy, right? Wrong. So he says, God did not lead them by the way of the Red Sea, even though it was near. And the reason God doesn't lead us the easy way, listen to me, is because he's interested in developing us on the journey. See, it's in the wilderness that we learn the real truth about who God is and about who we are. Let me say that again. In the wilderness... Because we're all going to go through the wilderness. Why do I, and how do I know that's true? Because the pathway to the promised land always leads through the wilderness. Even if there is a promised land, and there is a promised land or a land of promises for each of us, regardless, we have to walk through the wilderness. There's a purpose for the wilderness. Maybe some of you, you're in the wilderness right now. You're in a time of testing. You're in a time where God is putting you under pressure. You're experiencing some things that are completely out of your hands. There's nothing you can do with it. There's nothing you can say or do or react or respond that's going to change your situation. So what do you do when you find yourself in a helpless situation? Well, you follow God. Now, if you want to be in the will of God 10 years from now, you need to be willing to do the very next thing the Holy Spirit tells you to do. Now, I used to dream these huge dreams, and what we want to know is we want to not just know the big picture. We want to understand everything that we're going to have to go through and learn and know beforehand how this is going to turn out before we go through it. But that's not the way that God works. He doesn't take us 
through the easy way or the logical way. He takes us through a different way, a harder way. Now, when God brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, this is what he promised them. He said, I'm going to take you to a land that is flowing with milk and honey. Hallelujah, right? The promised land sounded good, right? But God never makes a promise that he doesn't keep, right? God is a promise keeper. And the Bible says that it was an 11-day journey from Egypt to the promised land. In other words, if they would have obeyed God completely and totally, it still would have took them 11 days to get there. Why? Because the wilderness seasons in our life are necessary to develop us and prepare us for the promised land. You have to be prepared for the promised land. You know why? Because the giants are waiting for you in the promised land. In the wilderness, the children of Israel, they fought God, they fought Moses, and they fought each other. And they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, and an entire generation died in the wilderness. Listen, your destiny is not to die in the desert. Listen, the destiny of this church is not for things to maintain, to be status quo, to be mundane, to be go through the motion. God wants this church to grow. He wants it to reach the community. He wants us to make a difference locally and globally. And for us to do that, we have to change. It requires us to change the way that we look at the journey. So... God didn't lead us the logical way or the easy way. He leads us through the wilderness. Now, we've already said that God brought the children of Israel out of Egypt. He said, I'm taking you to a land flowing with milk and honey. Now, did you know after God made this promise that he's going to take them to the land flowing with milk and honey, did you know the first three days on the other side of the Red Sea, they did not have a drop of water to drink? Now think about this. You know, we know that they grumbled and they complained. But listen, if you went without food and water for three days, I wonder how you behave. But what, what happens is, not only does, do they not have water to drink, it goes from bad to worse. It's almost like God is teasing them. God is, you know, just trying to pull one over on them. Because on the third day, when they finally come to a place where there's water, guess what? The water's undrinkable. They come to a place called Mara, and Mara means bitter. And so what God was doing here, it looked like that he was just playing games with them because he said, look, I'm going to take you to a land flowing with milk and honey. Three days after they crossed the Red Sea, they're thirsting to death. I mean, can you imagine how thirsty they were when they were in this desert place? I mean, probably they were on the verge of dehydration. I went and played golf the other day, and I'm telling you, I thought I was on the verge of dehydration. Just playing golf. That's pathetic. It's got nothing to do with this message. But I was trying to envision myself for a second. I was very thirsty playing golf. I couldn't imagine walking through the desert heat and not even having a sip of water. But they went without a sip of water, and it got them upset. Now, here's the point I want to make. When you commit yourself to following God, from the time that you receive the promise of God 
until the time that you receive the fulfillment of the promise of God. Listen to me. There's usually a season where you experience the exact opposite of what God had promised. Now think about that. Let that soak in a little bit. Because some of you feel like giving up, throwing in the towel, quitting, stopping believing in what God has already spoke to you. Listen, if you are in a season where you're experiencing the exact opposite of what God has promised, just understand it's temporary. It's not going to always be this way. God, he's still leading them to the promised land. He's just having to do some things in their heart before they're able to enter in. Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 4 said, Remember how I led you these 40 years in the wilderness. He says, To humble you, to test you, to see what is in your heart, whether you would obey my commandments or not. See, I told you in the beginning that we have to make a commitment up front and then that commitment's going to be put to the test. God will put the decision to commit to the will of God to test just to see if you really mean it. How, how many of the things we have said to God or we've said in prayer or we've said to other people that we know for a fact is just lip service? I don't care how much Bible you quote. I don't care how much scripture you've memorized. If you're not putting that into action, it's just religious talk. Because the truth is this. We only believe what we obey. Everything else is religious talk, whether it's King James Version or not. And so God was going to see whether they were sincere and genuine about following God. Because here's another truth. You can be sincere and be sincerely wrong. Listen, the terrorists that flew these airplanes into the World Trade Center towers, they were majorly sincere. But they were sincerely wrong. But what I found out in America, terrorists are more willing to die for a lie than Christians are to live for truth. It's quiet up in here this morning. I mean, they're willing to give and lay down their life for a lie then we are willing to take God at his word, step out on faith, and follow him. But God was doing something in this first journey. See, it's right here at Mara that God reveals something to them. Two things happen. He reveals to the children of Israel how he sees their heart. God was saying to the children of Israel, Egypt has made you bitter, but I can turn your bitterness into sweetness if you'll just come to me. See, not only was God showing Israel the bitterness of their heart, he was revealing himself as Jehovah Rapha, which means the Lord that heals. See, every challenge, every difficulty, every bit of adversity that they experienced, oftentimes when they handled it correctly, was followed up by a glorious revelation of God that they had never experienced yet. Some of you, God has got encounters and experiences and, and, and deep places he's calling you to and great things he's calling you to, but you have not handled what you've been going through very well. 
Now, how do you know if you're handling it well? Well, listen to what comes out of your mouth. Listen, Christian folks, some of the most negative folk I've ever been around. And those of you that know me know that I hate negativity. I, I'm, I'm saying it. I hate's a strong word, but I mean hate in the, in the most intense tense. I hate, look, if the Lord has saved us and he has written our names down in the Lamb's book of life, what do we have to complain over? Even if they kill us, we're on our way to heaven. That's not a bad alternative. Amen? I got to hurry up and go because I've been preaching more than I want to preach on this. But he reveals himself as the healer once he lets them know that he sees the bitterness in their heart. Here's the thing. Some of you, there's things in your heart, whether it be bitterness or offense, or wound, or anger, or resentment, or unforgiveness, whatever it may be, that you will never be able to move on and follow God until you deal with what God is saying He sees in your heart. When it comes to pain, you can't fake it, you have to face it. And so God was saying, I allowed all this to happen. I allowed you to go through this wilderness up to this point because there was something in your heart that I needed to do in you before I could bring you to the promised land and then do something through you. Because here's the thing. It wasn't just that they were in the wilderness. The real enemy, the real giants were waiting for them in the promised land. But I can't preach that today. Here's the second thing. If you're going to follow God... First thing is you have to realize God doesn't normally lead us the easy way or the logical way. The second thing's this. The familiar will always call you back from your future. The familiar will always call you back from your future. When God begins to lead us in a new direction, the biggest struggle we will deal with is letting go of what we are comfortable with. Okay? There's things that happen to us that God speaks to us, even during worship. Play hit on some of those things. We talked about just simply lifting your hands or expressing yourself or demonstrating uh, your love. Again, I understand not everybody has the same personality, but I can promise you this much. If I slapped you in the face, your emotional state would change immediately. So don't tell me you're an emotion, not an emotional person. If you say you're not an emotional person, come up here, let's see. Spirit of slap rises up on people sometimes. I'm just joking. But the first hurdle you've got to overcome is getting out of your comfort zone because what you're familiar with will rob you and keep you from walking and stepping into the future God has for you. 70% of people... Do not like change. And one of the greatest dangers it, there is in our lives, Now I promise you, everybody in here is in a place right now because God is calling you to something more than what you've already experienced. He desires to use you in a greater way than what you've ever imagined. 
But the problem is all of us have places or comfort zones that we are comfortable with that we don't want to give up along the journey. The question you need to ask yourself is this. What is your comfort zone that God is calling you out of? And if you don't deal with that, you're going to die in the desert. And it was never God's will for any of the children of Israel to die in the desert, but because they always had Egypt in their hearts, when things got tough, they were quick to retreat and not march forward. See, it was easy for God to bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. It was nearly impossible for God to bring the Egypt out of the children of Israel. It's different. And, and so just because God has brought us out doesn't mean that we don't need to be delivered from some stuff that has attached itself to us that is baggage that we've just accepted that this is the way that it's going to be. Some of you have accepted and actually went a step further than accept, accepted. You have took on the identity of the struggle that you've had for years and said, well, I guess it's not God's will for me to be free from this. I guess I'm going to have to deal with this for the rest of my life. I guess this is my lot at li in life. And so what happens is we don't just accept it. We take it on as our identity, and then it empowers us to remain the way that we are. But you will never become the person God has called you to be by remaining who you are. Well, I feel happy anyways. I told you I was going to teach this, but listen to this. Exodus 16.3. They're in a hard place. Here's what they say. We would that we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt, when we set the pot where we set the pots of meat before us and ate our bread to the full. Listen, Egypt had so indoctrinated them in bondage that even though God had already miraculously delivered them, brought judgment on Egypt, they saw the plagues, they saw the waters part, and they walked across on dry ground, but they were so indoctrinated with what they experienced in Egypt, they couldn't believe God for deliverance. And I found out there's a lot of Christians that they have more faith in the devil to destroy them than they do in God to save them. Isn't that sad? But that's what they were saying. They said, I'd rather be back in Egypt. At least we eat potted meat and crackers back there. I don't necessarily have a problem with potted meat. But I'm sure the Lord has something a little bit better than potted meat. Listen to this. Some people confuse slavery with safety. Because it's what we are familiar with. A lot of people are stuck in safe slavery because they are afraid to move forward into the unknown where God is calling them. You would rather remain safe in your bondage, in your comfort zone, with your family members unsaved that are still lost than to have to carry a burden continually in prayer for them 
You would rather remain stagnant, dormant, in status quo, just being religious than experiencing the life that Jesus died for you to have. And let me say this, Jesus didn't die on the cross to make you a bigger, better version of yourself. He didn't come to just give you life. He came to wreck your life and then give you his life so you could experience what true life is all about. Listen, I was a drug addict and alcoholic. I found out the secret to a drug-free life is not a secret. It's a person. His name is Jesus. And what he's done for me, I believe he can do for anybody if we'll follow him. So what's your next step? Let me hurry. Here's the third thing. Number three, God's leadership is a balance between the wilderness and the Red Sea. Notice what it says in verse 18. So God led the people around by the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. Two things I want you to get here. This is in your outline. Number one or A is the wilderness. God uses the wilderness. Now, what you have to understand at this point is that you need to understand the context of where Israel was at at this point in their journey. They had been in bondage in Egypt for 400 years. They did not have the Bible. All they had was the stories that their ancestors had about God that had been passed down from generation to generation. There was no revelation of the Word of God. The Torah had not even been written up to this point. All they had was the stories that they had heard that had been passed down from generation to generation and their own personal encounter. Listen, they, they, they knew about God, but they didn't necessarily know God. It's possible for you to know about God and not know God. It's possible for you to know Psalms 23 and not know the Lord as your shepherd. There's a big difference between knowing the book of the Lord and the Lord of the book. If all you know is the book of the Lord, you've lost this as bad as last year's Easter egg. Because the Pharisees knew the book of the Lord, but they did not know the Lord of the book. As a matter of fact, they crucified the Lord of the book. Some of you are crucifying what God is wanting to do in your life because you're familiar with something that has got you captivated in bondage and you won't let it go, and you won't allow the experience you're going through right now to reveal to you what God's wanting to change. So you blame God. God's bad God. God's mean. He's a liar. He just teases us. I read all this stuff in the Bible. I don't see none of it happening. Well, I guess that's God's fault, right? Wilderness has a role that plays. And so God led them through the wilderness, listen, to, to convert their shallow belief in God into true faith of God. Listen, what was happening is this. They could not live off of the stories of the past about who God is and what God's done. See, God has no grandchildren. If you're going to know God... Every single one of you are going to have to know God for yourself. My children won't get to heaven because that I know God. My children will only go to heaven if they know God. 
And so look, just because you may have been born in, into the church, you were raised in church, you've been going to church your whole life, all that is is just church. The question is, do you know God? God was taking him through the wilderness because he loved them enough that they wanted him, or he wanted them to experience who he is for themselves. The Bible says that Moses knew God's character, but the children of Israel knew God's acts. There's a difference between knowing who God is in his character, who God is in his nature, who God is in his personality. Just like, in, just like the Holy Spirit, I was sitting here thinking about how many people refer to the Holy Spirit as it, or a thing, or an invisible force, or a or a hallelujah, or a jump, or a shout. Now listen, that may happen to you, but that's not who the Holy Spirit is. Jesus referred to the Holy Spirit in a personal male pronoun. He said, He will come. He, when the Holy Spirit comes, He will reveal to you things that have come. He will be your comfort. He will be your helper. He, 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 He's a person. And He's the most neglected, ignored, and hated person of the Trinity. How would you feel if people that say they love you never acknowledged your existence? See, the Holy Spirit's not just a person. He's a person with a personality. The Bible says that he has emotions, that he has a will, that, that he has a personality. That's why you can grieve the Holy Spirit. You can quench the Holy Spirit. You might as well sit back. You ain't going outside now, are you? I might preach to about three today. I'm merciful. I'm merciful. But the Holy Spirit is a person, and I feel just like what Clay was saying. The Holy Spirit wants you to know who he is. Jesus himself said, it's good for me that I go away so that the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, can come, and He will be with you, and He shall be in you. That's pretty important. The next is the Red Sea. I'm about to wrap it up. The wilderness is designed to convert our shallow belief in God. Because, listen, let me tell you something. Just to simply mentally acknowledge who God is is not saving faith. Everybody believes in God. At least in southeastern Kentucky, everybody believes in God. Everybody got saved at backyard Bible school. Right? But they live like heathen from hell out. Right? So what happens is we think that mentally acknowledging who God is is all that God requires. James said it like this, you believe in God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. Now think about that statement. What he says in that statement, he says, even the demons believe in who Jesus is. In other words, demons believe that Jesus is the Son of God, right? Demons believe that Jesus is going to judge. Woo! Must have been about like what it was like on Mount Sinai. Thunder and lightning and trembling. And, did you feel that? <laughs> Anyways. 
But demons have some of the best Christology of anybody. Listen, it was funny because people were arguing that they didn't know who Jesus was. Jesus even asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? He said, some say that you're John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. People couldn't figure out who he was. But when Jesus confronted demons, guess what? The demons got it right every single time. You are the Son of God. We know who you are. Have you come to torment us before the time? They knew. Can demons be saved? You believe in God? Good for you. You still need to be saved. Think about this. Not only do what demons believe about God, not only is their doctrine of who Christ is perfect, what they believe about God moves them emotionally. Think about it. He says, they believe in God so much that it causes them to tremble in fear. I wonder how many people have come to an altar and repeated a prayer that was 100% doctrinally correct, but empty and void of any change in their heart. I want to know how many people have come to an altar and cried an ugly cry. You know what ugly cry is, don't you? And cried an ugly cry that was only emotional, that was void of true legitimate change and conversion. And now they are basing their eternal destiny on the fact that they know what the Bible says about God and they had an emotional experience. I mean, that terrifies me. And then hear the words of Jesus in Matthew 7. Not everybody that says, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. For many, not few, many, that's terrifying. Many people will say, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not work miracles in your name? Did we cast out devils in your name? He said, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. It was like the seven sons of Sceva that came up to a demon-possessed man and tried to cast the demon out of the man. He said, we adjure you from in the name of Jesus of whom Paul preaches. And the demons spoke back and they said, Jesus we know, Paul we know, who are you? Does the devil know your name? He knows if you're an imposter or not. Because if Jesus is not top priority in your life, you're the devil's favorite Christian. I gotta quit. Number four, then come the music. God desires to reveal himself to us as we learn to follow him in the wilderness. Almost every single time the children of Israel found themselves in an impossible situation, the Lord showed up in their life and they saw a different side of God they've never seen before. When he brought them to the place called Mara, where the waters were bitter, 
Up to that point, he had never revealed himself as Jehovah Rapha, the healer, in human history. But when he showed up in the midst of their bitterness and they said, yes, Egypt has made me bitter, he revealed himself as their healer. And encounter after encounter, that's really, listen, that's what Christianity is. Christianity is not a bunch of rules and regulations. It's not a bunch of thou shalt and thou shalt not. Christianity is an ongoing, loving relationship with a person. And we have dwindled it down to a church service, to a Bible study. And I'm not saying those things are bad, but we're not really truly following God like we should. Now here's your four greatest challenges that you'll face if you're going to follow God. Number one, you can put these in really quickly. Number one, it's going to cost you people. Everybody that starts the journey with you is not going to end up when you come to the end of that journey. When God speaks to, to somebody, the first thing that we try to do is we want to try to get everybody on board. The Lord knows I wanted to try to do that many, many times. But the truth is not everybody is supposed to make the journey with you. There's people that come into your life for a reason, they come into your life for a season, and they come into your life for a lifetime. And it's your responsibility to discover who those people are. But not everybody's going to go with you. So it's going to cost you some people. Listen, how do I know that's true? Because even though God gave Israel the promised land of Canaan, there was an entire tribe that said, we want to stay on this side of the river. We know that this is a good promised land, but we're more comfortable on this side. We don't want to go into the promised land and occupy. We, we like this place right where we're at. And listen, churches all across America are filled with people that are happy with just the way things are right now. May it never be said of City of Hope Church that we're happy and satisfied. Regardless of how much this church grows, listen, if we become the biggest church in Clay County and within driving distance of this church are tens of thousands of people on their way to hell, how can we dare say that we're a success in the kingdom of God? And this is how you know if you're satisfied with where you're at. What are you doing to reach others? Jesus said, if you follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. If we're not winning the lost, can we honestly say we're following Jesus? I didn't say that. Jesus said that. But not everybody's going to make the journey. Number two, it's going to cost you some possessions. If you want to follow God, you're going to have to leave the fineries of Egypt in order to move forward into the promised land. When God calls you to something, I said this earlier, He calls you away from something. And Jesus said, it's going to cost you some stuff. I don't know about you, but I don't need more stuff. I got enough stuff. 
God has blessed every man and every woman and every family in this church. And the truth is this. It's very easy for us to take the blessings of God and make them an idol that we use against Him. That's why you have to continually search your heart. That's why we have to go through the wilderness so many times. Because if our love for God is not tested, it will grow lukewarm. Number three, it's going to cost us some pain. You're not getting off the planet without getting hurt. And the longer I serve the Lord, the more I believe the greatest miracle in the Christian life is to live a life free from, from offense. It's rare to find somebody that doesn't hold some degree of offense in their life as a result of a painful experience they had with a family member, with friends. And listen, church hurts the worst. It's the worst. But if you're going to follow God at some point in time, you're going to have to let that go. It's just going to cost you pain. You can't be wrong with your brother and sister and right with God at the same time. Here's the last thing. You stand with me. It's going to cost you your past. You may be a product of your past, but you are not a prisoner of your past. And some of you, you've got past issues that you've never gotten over, that you've carried into your present. And you have to come to a place in your life, if you're going to follow God, that you say to yourself, you know what? No matter how good yesterday was, or no matter how bad yesterday was, yesterday ended last night. Let me say that again. No matter how good yesterday was, or no matter how bad yesterday was, yesterday ended last night this is the day that the Lord has made and I will rejoice and be glad in it no matter how bad yesterday was no matter what you dealt with no matter what you went through you have to let some of that stuff go some of you God's calling you to him he wants to use your life and it's hard for you to believe that God could use you that way because you've allowed your past to define who you are. You're a prisoner to your past. And God said you have to be willing to let that go. God is on the move and He will not park by your yesterday. Yesterday is gone. Right now is the only moment you have in life because tomorrow was promised to no man. But you have to learn how to respond to God in a moment. And that's the opportunity I'm going to give you right now. Right now, all over this building, God's speaking to you. God's saying, okay, you're going to have to let some people go. You're going to have to let some of your stuff go. You're going to have to let some of their pain go. You're going to have to let what's in your past go. You're going to have to let go of your fear of man and, and, and your fear of, of, of being seen and your fear of what other people think. Listen, what, what people think about you, what other people think about you is none of your business. 
That'll set you free if you get it. So if God's speaking to you, some of you, Jesus is saying, now is the time for you to make your first step toward following me. He will not make that step for you. You have to make that step for yourself. But I'm going to invite you to come and make that step. Make that commitment. Once you make that commitment, understand that commitment is going to be tested. What is God calling you away from? And what is God calling you to? You can't get there if you stay where you're at. God's on the move. That's what it's like to follow God. He didn't lead you the logical way or the easy way. If you're on the easy road, let me tell you something, you're not even on the road to heaven. The Bible says through much persecution, we enter into the gates of heaven. Jesus said, no man giving up houses or lands or family members or whatever, that he will not receive a hundredfold more in this life with persecutions. I don't serve God for benefits, but they are many. But I know one thing. There's nothing outside the will of God in my life that I desire. And there's nothing inside of the will of God that I'm afraid of. I want to stand before Him, not having died. One day you hear a rumor that Donald died. That's not going to be true. Because Jesus didn't die. He finished. And dying is not the same as finishing. Jesus didn't cry on the cross, I am dying. He said, it is finished. David didn't die. He said, after he served the purpose of God in his generation, he fell asleep. Paul didn't die. He said, I've fought a good fight. I've kept the faith. I have. So one day when you read my obituary, may have said on this such and such date Donald I don't you believe it I just finished and finishing is my primary goal in life Jesus is my plan A and I don't have a plan B I'm going to follow him regardless of what I have to walk away from what I have to give up and let me tell you something I don't know what's ahead in the future I don't even know what God's called me to do and how that's going to happen. But I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to step away so I can step forward. And then we'll see if we can leave the details up to God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I know that you are in this place and you are calling people to follow you. Some you're calling to follow you for the first time. And I pray that you would just continue to speak to them and draw them to yourself and give them an opportunity to respond to you. There's those that believe and belong to you that, Lord, you're calling them out of their comfort zone into a new place and a new season, into a new role, into a, a, a new uh, role that you want them to play. And I pray, God, that they would be willing to let go of whatever they are familiar with and feel safe with and follow you into that unknown those that are dealing with people, pain, problems, pride, whatever. Help them to see how they need to let that go. 
as they sing and as they play. If God's speaking to you, now's your time.